Good morning. Last week, we began to talk about the five functions of a healthy church in more depth. We started with the idea of community. We talked about how Jesus chose 12 men and spent three years preparing them to go on mission with God. We discussed that when we are willing to grow together, it creates a lever that God can leverage to introduce people to him. This week, we're going to discuss the act of prayer. After that, we'll finish the series by talking about study, worship, and mission with a break for an Easter sermon next week. This is important for us to understand so that we have a roadmap for impact in our community. The first four lessons have to do with being the church. The final lesson is about being on mission with God. It is crucial that we learn to function as the church in order for God to prepare us to be on mission with him. Several years ago, my parents went through a very difficult time. I had never felt so helpless. I pretty much gave up, but my mom did it. Even when everyone advised her to throw in the towel, she didn't. At the same time, she recognized that her persistence alone couldn't change things. Instead, she prayed fervently to a God that she believed could. And in the end, much to the surprise of many, including myself, he did. Have you ever encountered something that you knew you couldn't bargain your way out of? Being a resourceful person, you worked every angle. You reached out to anyone you could think of, and at some point you realized that what you were facing was too big. It was out of your hands. Today, we're going to talk about a king who got cocky. He picked a fight with the wrong nation and put himself and his people in harm's way. And when he realized he had run out of options, he cried out to a God who was waiting to be invited in to do what only he could do. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 36. We're going to look at the showdown between Hezekiah and the king of Assyria, which turned out to be a showdown between God and the king of Assyria. Now, as the dominant power in the region, Assyria required that weaker nations pay tribute or tax. At some point, Hezekiah decided that Israel would no longer pay this tribute. Instead, he attempted to build their military strength and make alliance with Egypt in preparation for battle. This provoked Assyria to invade Judah and set up camp in the city of Lachish, just west of Jerusalem. Now, the field commander approaches Hezekiah's officials, intending to intimidate them into surrender, to accept that this is just the way things are. You will lose the battle. This is just the way things are. So beginning in chapter 36, verse 4, the field commander said to them, Tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria says, on what are you basing this confidence of, of yours? You say you have strategy and military strength, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? So he asks him the question, on whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Now who was Hezekiah depending on at this point? Was he, de he was depending on himself. He was depending on Egypt. But I don't think he had yet come to a point where he was depending on the Lord. And in, and in the mind of the field commander, he's saying, you have no chance. You have no chance. Look ahead at verse 8 now with me. Come now, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you can put riders on them. So you see what he's doing here is he's mocking them. He's saying, I'll give you enough, I'll give you horses if you can put riders on them and they'll do you no good. He even implies that the Lord himself has sent the Assyrian army. Now this is not entirely incorrect. But as with Babylon years later, God sometimes allows a nation to become puffed up with pride and then he personally humbles them. 
Now Hezekiah's officials try to discourage the field commander at this point from speaking the language of the common people. But he insists on speaking in Hebrew so that everyone can hear his threats. Continuing on in verse 13. Then the commander stood and called out in Hebrew, Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and come out to me. Then every one of you will eat from his own vine and fig tree and drink water from his own cistern until I come and take you to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Do not let Hezekiah mislead you when he says, The Lord will deliver us. Has the God of any nation ever delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? So right now, the field commander is attempting to reason with the people. Maybe to encourage them or to pressure them to replace their leaders. His message is you need to just accept that this is the way things are. This is just the way things are. Now I'm not sure what moved Hezekiah to rebel in the first place. But when he refused to pay the tax and began to focus on building up his country's military strength and making alliance with Egypt, he had grabbed a tiger by the tail. And when the enemy came, Hezekiah put on a strong face. But now the reality of what he's gotten himself and his people into is hitting him full force. And he confides to his officials that he is scared. So he sends his officials to speak to Isaiah the prophet, a man known to speak on behalf of God. And Isaiah responds with a message for Hezekiah to stand firm. Now turn ahead to chapter 37. We're going to read from verses 5 through 7 as the story moves along. When King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you have heard, those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen, I am going to put a spirit in him so that when he hears a certain report, he will return to his own country. And there I will have him cut down with the sword. So after this, the king of Assyria lets loose another boastful rant designed to scare Hezekiah into submission. Now this time, Hezekiah doesn't just seek out Isaiah. He decides to go directly to the Lord because what Isaiah has shown him by speaking the words of the Lord is not only is God aware of Hezekiah's circumstances, but he is also active. He's not only aware, but he is active. And now Hezekiah himself goes and speaks directly to the Lord. Let's pick up in verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord Almighty, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to all the words Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God. It is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste All these peoples and their lands, they have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone, fashioned by human hands. Now, O Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone are God. And then continuing on in verse 21, 
we see God's response to his prayer. Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word the Lord has spoken against him. So Hezekiah, in desperation, he goes, he cries out to the Lord. He begs God to intervene, to do what only God can do. And he finds out that not only is God aware of his circumstance, and God is active and capable and ready and able to respond, but that he is waiting to be invited into the situation to do what only God can do. Move ahead to verse 23. He accuses the king of Assyria. Who is it that you have insulted and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel. So he is communicating to the king of Assyria that you think you're big and you think you're bad, but you have messed with a power that you don't understand and with a power that is much greater than your own. Verse 26, God also informs him, Have you not heard? Long ago I ordained it. In days of old I planned it. Now I have brought it to pass that you have turned fortified cities into piles of stone. So what is God communicating here? God is saying that he had allowed Sennacherib to become powerful. Sennacherib had become so accustomed to winning and being the big man in the room that he had misunderstood how that had come to pass. It had been the Lord God. It had been God's plan all along for this king to become powerful and to do God's will. Verse 29. Because you have raged against me and because your insolence has reached my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and I will make you return by the way that you came. Now there's a little bit of context here. The way that the king of Assyria would humiliate the people he had defeated. He would put, literally put a hook in their nose and a bit in their mouth and treat them like animals. And so God is threatening him and promising that he will treat him in exactly the same way. He will humiliate the king of Assyria. At that time, one of the most powerful men in the world. Continue on in verse 33. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. So God responds in this situation for his sake. And for the sake of his servant. Now when many of us pray, and if I'm honest, I'm in this group. We are wanting things from God. But when God answers our prayers, it is not just for us, but also for himself. Look back at this passage. He is going to do this for his sake and for the sake of his servant. God desires for his influence to expand. And if that happens... Ultimately, that is what is best for us. So are you praying for things from God? Or are you also praying for things for God? Now, what do we learn about God in this story? First of all, we learn that God is aware. He's not just standing by. He is not unaware. He is not impersonal. He cares. 
He is aware of what's happening in their circumstance. Number two, we find out that God is active, that He is capable, that He is able to respond. And then thirdly, we find out that God is waiting to be invited to do what only He can do. Now what about you? And what areas of your life are you tempted to accept that this is just the way things are? This is just the way things are. What about in the lives of people you know? What about in the community? When you're facing a difficult marriage relationship, when you can't see eye to eye. It's tempting just to say it's just the way things are. When you're struggling with strained family relationships with moms and dads and and with with brothers and sisters and, and relatives and there's just strain and there's challenge. It's tempting to just say it's just the way it is. When we're struggling with health issues again and again that we can't overcome, it's tempting to feel like it's just the way it is. When we have trouble with our children, when they go the wrong way, and I understand this, I, my children are young and I already feel fear that one day they're going to stray and they're going to have hardship. What about financial challenges? What about friends or family who are just not interested in Jesus? What about social issues? People that are addicted to substances, people that are making choices that leave them with lifelong consequences. What about abuse? There are so many things that when we look at our society and we look at our lives, we feel like this is just the way things are. There's nothing we can do about it. So the questions for you today are three. Number one, do you believe that God is aware Do you believe that God sees you, that He sees your circumstances, that He sees your challenges? Do you believe that God is aware in a way that Hezekiah came to believe that God was aware? Number two, do you believe that God is active? Do you believe that God is not just watching? He doesn't just see, but that He's capable that He's able, that He can change things, that the things that seem immovable, the things that seem impossible, that God is active. And number three, do you believe in your heart that God is waiting to be invited? That God is waiting to be invited. Not only is He aware, not only is He active, but He's waiting to be invited into your situation and my situation to do what only He can do. And keep in mind that when God chooses to act, it will not just be for your sake and mine, but it will be for His sake. So in our prayers, it is important for us to consider not just what we want from God, but are we also praying things for God? Do we want God's influence to expand? Do we believe that this will be best for those around us? So do you believe that God is aware? Do you believe that God is active? And do you believe that God is waiting to be invited? And also today, would you be willing to take these four steps? Step number one is identify areas where you're in need. Identify areas where you are in need. And and ways we can identify this is, number one, is it a recurring problem? It happens again and again and again. And number two, is it something that I'm unable to overcome? So identify areas where you are in need. And number two is to recognize that you you don't have the ability To address this, you don't have the ability in your own strength to deal with this. And the question here is, have you done all that you can do? If you've done all that you can do, then you're entering the God zone. You've taken every step. You've had every conversation. You've done all that you can do to address this issue, this problem, this this thing that's difficult to overcome. And you recognize that you do not have the ability. 
So you identify areas where you are in need. You recognize that you do not have the ability. And then thirdly, you invite God to do what only He can do. You invite God to do what only He can do. And then also, you invite others to pray with you. You invite others to pray with you. And what this does, it does two things. First of all, it gives you more People involved in praying and crying out to God to do something, to act, to move. But it also gives them a front row seat to see that, to see God in His power, in His ability, do those things, change those things, move those mountains, open those doors, break those chains, restore those relationships in a way that only He can do. Do you believe that God is aware? That he cares. Do you believe that God is active? Do you believe that God is waiting to be invited? And if you believe those things, would you be willing to identify areas where you are in need? Recognize that you do not have the ability and invite God to do what only he can do. And then invite others to pray with you. Your homework this week is, you know, as we so often are guilty of, is when somebody asks us to pray for them or when we ask somebody to pray for us, the response so often is, I'll pray for you. I'll put that on my list. Hope you have a nice day. But I would challenge you, when somebody asks you to pray for something, I would encourage you to pray for them right then, on the spot, in person. And then you'll get to be an encouragement to them. So that's your homework for this week. Now if God is aware, and if God is active, if we believe that, what if we would be willing to invite Him into our lives and places of influence to do what only he can do. And as Hezekiah found out in this story, that God kept his promise that, in fact, the king of Assyria did not step foot in Jerusalem. He did not shoot an arrow. He went back with his tail between his legs. A number of his men were were murdered through the night. God did that. He sent him back packing, and he was cut down by the sword by his own children because they were so embarrassed So this powerful man, this man that had conquered nations that was used to having his way, God defeated him in such a decisive way that he went home in shame and was cut down by his own family members. So if God is aware and he's active and he's capable of that kind of, those kind of things, that kind of power, what if we would be willing to invite him into our lives, invite him into our places of influence to do what only he can do? What if he is just waiting for your invitation. He's aware, he's active, and he's waiting for your invitation into your life, into your circumstances. He's waiting for my invitation. He's waiting for our invitation. Let's invite him to do great things, both for his sake and ours as well. Now, I wanted to close with a story. Several years ago, we moved to a a city in China in the southwest portion uh, of the area where we were living. There was an orphanage there. And there were a number of kids that we began to get to know over over a period of weeks and months. And the first time we went there, it was really hard because they weren't really receptive to us. They weren't very open. I think they'd seen a lot of people come and go, visit and leave gifts, but not really invest. And we began to connect with them a little bit over time. But we were really discouraged because there were some of these kids with just minor deformities. Now, in China, a child with a minor deformity quickly becomes basically unadoptable. 
Nobody will touch them. They will only adopt young children with zero deformities. And so we were really discouraged by that. And we were just kind of overcome with the belief that this is just the way it is. This is just the way it is. We should just accept it and and care for them as, as best we can. And so... My wife, though, she felt, she felt really burdened about this. She began to pray that God would give her some, some way, some opportunity to make a difference and that he would, against all odds, would provide a home for some of these children. And so what he's done in the past year is, you know, through a series of events, the orphanage director was willing to put these kids up for inter- international adoption. And what she found out, to, much to her surprise, is there are a lot of families in the U.S. and in the West that are willing to adopt these kids. And so in just one year's time, God has provided homes for six of these eight children. But it was the seventh that really moved me. And we found out this just yesterday when we were on the road. We got a text message that said, this little guy, Hank, you've seen the picture here up front, and he has a flat nose, and he's not attractive, and he's not the kind of kid that probably you or I would want to adopt. And I just, in my heart, I didn't believe. I didn't believe that God was able to really provide a home for this young man. And we're in the car yesterday, and we get a text message, and we immediately became emotional because God has provided a family who is willing to pursue adopting Hank. And he's done this amazing, incredible thing. And so we found out, and I've been convicted, that not only is our God aware of our circumstances, he's aware of Hank's story, and he's active, and he is just waiting to be invited into our situation, into our circumstance, to do what only he can do. Pray with me. God, thank you for this day and thank you for this opportunity to be in your presence and to to worship together and to study the word of God together. And I pray, God, that you would challenge us to be willing to believe that not only are you aware, God, not only are you active, but you're also waiting to be invited into our circumstance to do the things that only you can do. We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.